You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by Jet Charge, Australia's leading experts in EV charging. Operating nationwide, Jet Charge helps maximise the use of renewable energy and is paving the way for our electric future. Hello and welcome to this latest edition of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of The Driven, as well as Renew Economy and One Step Off The Grid. And this week we've got a very special guest, um, inventor, academic, advisor to President Biden, Phil Griffith is recognised as one of the key players in the great push to electrify everything. He is the founder and uh, leader of Rewiring America and also now of Rewiring Australia. And he's just released a new book called The Big Shift. And in it, it documents the need to basically electrify everything. And that really, it means not just the electricity grid, of course, it means transport, it means gas use, it means cooking and heating in homes and in businesses and transferring business use. But really fundamentally, it is about the home, it starts with the home, it starts with businesses, and it's all about how you can change, get rid of gas, electrify everything, transfer the grid to renewables, and then get going. So as mentioned before, Saul Griffith has just released a book, The Big Shift, and we caught up with him earlier this week. Saul Griffith, um, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. You have just published a new book, The Big Switch. Uh, you've been a promoter of the idea that we need to electrify everything for quite a while now you sort of push that idea in the US now you're sort of selling that message into Australia just very briefly give us an overview what does it mean to electrify everything how quickly can it be done and how hard is it really the, the reason to write the book in Australia is I think we're still having debates over the solutions that are delaying action and that are a distraction and that are not honest enough about what is going to work and what isn't, which you can now pretty much see from here. And um, electrifying everything means electrifying all of our vehicles in the domestic economy, also electrifying all the water heat, all the space heat, all of the kitchen appliances. Um, it'll mean doing a lot of rooftop solar, uh, also industrial renewables and enough storage in the various places to balance all of that. And it also means, you know, a lot of industry will actually be electrified and we should be cautious of the stories we are being told about carbon sequestration, hydrogen and other almost but not really solutions. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of um, FUD being um, spread around it. Um, as your book title suggests, it's a big switch. How exactly do we go about this? Do we get to 100% renewables for the electricity that we're consuming now? Do we at the same time push the switch to electric, electric transport? Um, what, what are the sort of the ducks that we need to get lined up for this to actually happen in the most efficient way? Well, I think another thing to try and introduce into the Australian debate is the urgency I think the 
various governments here have successfully delayed action by sort of waiting for a whole economy solution. Mm. Um, so, you know, well, we'll do it when it's ready kind of thing. The reality is to hit any climate, any real climate target under two degrees, the planet needs almost perfect execution at this point. What do I mean by that? The existing set of machines that burn fossil fuels in the world, if allowed to live out their natural lives, um, will emit enough carbon dioxide to take us to 1.8 degrees. So that means, you know, the coal plants that have got another 20 or 30 years to live, the natural gas plants that have got another 30 or 40 years to live, even the vehicles that have another 20 years, the even your stoves and your hot water heaters that have another 10 years on them, we are at a point that every single new machine that's bought into the Australian economy and for that matter, the global economy should be a zero emission machine, which means it needs to be an electric machine and we need to ramp up the renewables or the nuclear energy to feed that thing clean electricity. So it says the urgency is on both sides of supply and demand. Um, and we've been missing the urgency on demand, which is in some respects slowing us down on the deployment of the supply we need. Mm. Think, um, I mean, there's huge resistance at some political level. I mean, there's sort of, you know, sort of inertia there, as you just sort of, um, um, sort of commented on. Um, there's great resistance, of course, from the legacy utilities. Um, how do we get over that? Well... I don't like the end result of any, like, what do you do action to be vote the right people in? Because it's unclear that any of the parties are ambitious enough. In fact, it's quite clear that no government in the world is really quite ambitious enough. Um, mm. Nevertheless, I think, especially in Australia, we have the opportunity to get a public majority who want to bold action because it's actually now not just good for climate, but it's in our vested interest. So I think fairly shamelessly doing the storytelling that stops the culture war here of telling you what you have to lose and, and starts a much more interesting culture war of what we have to win. Mm. Because the, and you know, I've done a huge amount of climate work, technology making in the US has been my day job. Technology policy has been my climate policy has been my night job for the last few years, including helping the White House. Um, and we, we got to go. Um, you know, if, I, if I look at the country in the world that has the, all the natural advantages, it's Australia, the country in the world that's got template for at least one piece of the right kind of legislation, that's Australia. What we did on rooftop solar was extremely clever and is the reason our rooftop solar is the cheapest delivered electricity in the world. Hmm. And because we've got low population density, so the cost of transmission of grid-based electricity, cost of transmission of natural gas in Australia is higher than it is in, for example, the US. The new competitor, meaning electric vehicles, electric heat pumps, runoff, renewable electricity, beats natural gas, beats petrol beats coal hands down here first which means if we do it right savings for the average australian household savings for australian businesses and it is 
almost pastime for the Australian government if they were wise to be looking at the whole economy as an investment opportunity. And if they did this right, you know, for less than the price of a submarine or two, they would be <laughs> saving every Australian household a few thousand dollars a year, five thousand dollars a year by twenty thirty, and the and the economy as a whole forty or fifty billion dollars in savings per year um, by early next next decade. So it's an unbelievable investment opportunity. It's it's an absolute bargain. The urgency is because climate science requires that level of urgency now. And I think the other thing really worth emphasizing is um, if Australia does this and shows the way, and you mentioned one of the, the bad actors are the existing distribution and transmission companies, um, they're slowing action down worldwide, resisting the change. Um, so if actually you could show that this recipe works in Australia and start saving money, then you'll, you'll, you'll speed up the action in the rest of the world by virtue of, you know, Australia can run, can run the world leading pilot on how to decarbonize our communities, decarbonize our domestic economy, save money for the punters while doing it and buy ourselves enough time to decarbonize industry next decade. Mm. The, the, uh, you mentioned about the sort of the transmission. Um, a lot of the Australian plans to decarbonise the grid is based around massive amounts of transmission, new transmission lines sort of going across, you know, from different states and things like that. Is it the right way to go about it? You seem to be suggesting because the cost of transmission is greater in Australia that we've got other advantages that we should be taking, um, that we should be deploying using. You talked about solar. I mean, there's household batteries and there's electric vehicles. So you're thinking about a more distributed grid. Um, focused on sort of more microgrids and things like that? I mean, if you think about the what's going to be the lowest cost, um, first you've got to say a couple of things. If you electrified the domestic economy, and let's just take the residential and commercial sector, so that's our homes and small businesses. Um, if we electrified all of the end uses, cars, trucks, appliances, heating systems, um, we will reduce the total amount of energy required to run that part of the economy by two thirds, but we will increase the amount of electricity that we need to generate by close to a factor of three. That's if you use a mental model, if everyone gets the same size car, it's just electric, everyone has the same size house, it's just electric, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that's to say it's a lot more electricity than we're planning for right now because we're not proactively planning for this future um mm. it's more than you can generate on the rooftops alone so this is not a naive it's all going to be distributed microgrids um but certainly that you know a dollar a watt and still falling rooftop solar is financing itself at five to six cents a kilowatt hour delivered we can forecast a year not too far into the future where Hardening that with batteries will only cost another five or ten cents. That that ten to fifteen cents is cheaper than the grid everywhere. That means as much as you can do on the rooftops is going to be the cheapest system for Australians. Community generated uh, renewables and community batteries alongside those will be the next cheapest because you avoid the significant transmission costs, and then transmission. You know, it, it adds uh, 
up to another three or four cents a kilowatt hour. The distribution grid in Australia is typically adding 10, 15 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, so the lowest cost system is as much on your roof, followed by as much as in your community, followed by, yes, we also need a lot of transmission. That transmission will help average out the geographic, the geography of Australia. So that, you know, sunrise in um, Adelaide is helping to, you know, or sunrise in Sydney is helping to power Adelaide through the late last of the night and sunset in Adelaide is helping Sydney and Melbourne in the evening peaks. So we get those geographic benefits from transmission. So it's, it's yes. And to your, yeah. Okay. And places like South Australia, they've already reached, um, I think it must be close to 62, probably 70% renewables now over the last six months. I mean, is that sort of showing us the path of where we can go? I mean, I know it's just the electricity grid and there hasn't actually been that much of other electrification, but is that, is that a great launching pad for what we need to do in the rest of the country? I mean, honestly, um, at state level, Australia is, is crushing it. In the US, you know, everyone's focused on federal policy, but that is really led by California and New York and a few states that are writing what effect effectively is the draft legislation um, for the rest of the country. It's, this, it's the same here. The federal government is lagging hugely, but if you take some of the policies and some of the pilots running in South Australia, add a little bit of what's happening in the ACT, a little bit of what ha what's happening in Victoria, we, we are on the right path. We're not being honest about what it means to decarbonize not just the grid, but to add to that, <laughs> increasing the size of the grid, to add the cars, to add the um, to add the heat. I am concerned we aren't really planning enough for that enormous transformation that the electrification of the vehicles are. In your, you know, if you just took an average suburb, the amount of electricity that will go to vehicles in that suburb will be larger than the amount of electricity that goes to every other use in that suburb once we're fully electrified and we're we're certainly not planning for that to happen fast enough right now mm. you've talked about doing a pilot project taking a, a suburb or a group of houses a thousand houses and maybe community near yours or, or somewhere else what exactly, what exactly would you like to do i think you're thinking what was good for australia and what was really good for the world um, you can now look at the existing energy spend of an average Australian household which is four and a half to five thousand dollars a year we can look at the price they're paying for petrol what they're paying for grid electricity today what they're paying for natural gas and then you can build a little model that's like well what happens when we electrify the heating systems and provide it with a mixture of rooftop community and and grid renewables what happens to the, their cost of driving when they switch to electric with the same mix providing that power. And you see that the crossover point where this is an economic win for every Australian household is right around the corner. It's 2023 in some places, 2024, and it's a slam dunk everywhere by 2025. And this is the thing that's going to be saving every household thousands of dollars a year every year after that. So if that's only a, a few years away because of the falling cost of batteries, the continued progress on solar, the, you know, it's widely predicted that internationally the cost of an electric vehicle will be the same in the showroom in 2025 as it is for an internal combustion engine. 
all those things being true, Australia should be running the pilots that prepare us to let everyone participate in that success um, a few years from now. And what does that really look like? It's a pilot that demonstrates that we can, in fact, balance the 50 to 100 homes under a distribution transformer. It's we can take a collection of a 1,000 homes under a substation that looks like a, a suburb and we can balance all of those using this mix of, of rooftop solar, community generation, community batteries and connections to the larger grid. And I think there's a huge amount of benefit in proving, you know, the, all of the technologies that glue that, up, glue that last mile or last kilometre together. You have to excuse me, I'm still bilingual from living in America too long. Um, and, and prove that the economics works for the households because, quite honestly, we want to then have government incentives, financing products, everything set to go so that we can copy that experience into all the suburbs, all of the towns, because it is not only what is required for beating a two-degree climate target, it's going to be an economic win for the Australian punter that will feel like and rhyme with the success that many of us have felt already with rooftop solar lowering our bills. Do, do you have anywhere in mind for this? For, I mean, if you're going to do a trial in a suburb, do you have, do you have anywhere in mind? Um, have you had any um, suggestions? Have you suggested anything yet to any state or federal government? Have you got any interest at all? Uh, we've got interest at federal and state level. Um, we've got inbound requests from all sorts of communities from inner city Sydney to outer suburbs of Melbourne to rural towns in Tasmania and Queensland that are all interested, you know, how do we participate? We're interested in this trial. Um, I'm not sure what process we'll use to find the, the right place, but I think it's sort of interesting to let everyone play along and plan their suburb as we try to figure that out. Um, you, you, I'm sure my neighbours think I'm crazy. I live uh, just north of Wollongong, down an hour south of Sydney, and I've been literally walking every street in my suburb, map mapping the local distribution grid, counting the cars, proximity of cars to houses and tele telephone poles. And, like, you know, what does it really look like to completely decarbonize a community like that? Um, so, you know, I'm going through the thought experiment for a couple of suburbs where we have a lot of data, um, but, you know, I, I, in my fantasy world, we run a competition and it'll be subsidized for the first suburb that goes there. And, you know, the, the suburb that gets the most people voluntarily wanting to do this and participate in the future wins. That'd be a great yeah. way to do it. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been mapping your local community. What have you, what have you discovered? You, you, you've been making sort of some, some sums and, and worked out what the benefits would be and um, the amount of money. I mean, like, like if you think about the amount of money that they would spend on sort of petrol and diesel and what have you each year, it's, um, it's probably quite phenomenal, quite surprising actually, if you're thinking about a local community. Yeah, actually that's the, you know, I've done a lot of work thinking about the household as an economic unit and what it means for a household. Um, you know, the suburb I'm in, and I'm just, I can rattle these numbers off because I've been staring at them all week. There's uh, 1,016 households in uh, 910 buildings. There are about 780 children, 2,500 people totally. There's 
around about 1,750 cars. Um, you do the math, the community today is spending $3.3 million a year on petrol or diesel. And you think about that; those dollars, they immediately leave the postcode. So there's no real benefit to the local economy. There's one job at the servo, maybe. <laughs> um, and then if you model out, you know, what that same community looks like if they're all driving, or at least one of the 1.7 cars in every driveway is electric by 2025, the cost of those vehicles goes down to, you know, seven, $800,000 a year. Um, and then you think about, you know, there'll be financing costs and so maybe you, the community won't see all of that two and a half to three million, but um, they'll see a lot of it. And then you think about, you know, in a, in a town that has one school, one church, one shopping center, spending a million or two more in the local economy is, is going to be an enormous boon. You, you run out of football fields you can buy <laughs> um, and you run out of surf clubs you can build. So, uh, I've, I think it, the, the surprising thing that's really been interesting to me is to think about the opportunity for local economic renewal in whether it's a suburb or a small town everywhere. And it actually reminds me of something I was, I'm working with. A, we, we, we started something at Rewiring America last year in the U.S. called the Senate Caucus for Electrification, which is a whole bunch of U.S. senators and members of the House working on electrifying America. And one of the senators stood up at our launch event and said, this is going to be the largest transfer of wealth in human history from the traditional suppliers of energy to the traditional consumers of energy. And I thought it was a great statement when he said that, but this mm. exercise of thinking through in detail a local community really makes you realise how true that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me about your own journey through through this electrification process. I mean, you've actually been driving electric cars, I think, um, for about a decade, haven't you, at least, um, and, and started off with sort of rather sort of limited range and things like that. So tell, us what, um, tell us what you've been discovering, what your experience is. Yeah, I mean, I'm an electric car tragic. I think the first one I took a ride in was the Aptera prototype in maybe 2005. And in 2006, I got a ride in one of the first Tesla Roadsters, and it was like a Whoa. driving in a poorly behaved go kart. <laughs> um, then I think you know my wife and I are on to our fourth or fifth electric vehicle now. We've had the Chevy Bolt and the Fiat 500e, and we've got a very eccentric Nissan van at the moment that's actually our favourite. It's basically a, a, a van version of the Nissan Leaf. Um, it's got two sliding doors, so for you know the two children and a wet dog lifestyle, it's the best EV on the planet. I think. <laughs> Um, so, uh, and then I'm, I've, I electrified my 1957 Fiat and I'm in the process of electrifying a 1961 Lincoln Continental and I'm electrifying, I hope to be electrifying a Monaro in Australia this year, which will be a hoot. Whoa. Um, a 1968 Monaro. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure I like climate change or what, and vehicles roll in it, but I have to admit that I kind of like the machines <laughs> so <laughs> i'm hoping to take the monaro to summer nats next year um four-wheel drive 600 horsepower electric monaro um that'll, that'll attract some attention i think it, it hopefully should it should certainly settle some <laughs> debates 
you're an engineer and inventor, so are you actually doing it this yourself, or you got another conversion company working on it for you? Uh, I've done a few by myself. I think this will be a mix. Um, I'm getting, you know, it'll be a little. I don't think there's a company that makes what I what I want it to be, so I'll have to be involved. Yeah, and then apart from that, you know, um, I have you know two rooftop solar startups I'm involved in, in the U.S. with new rooftop solar technology. I've got two startups I'm involved with that are doing HVAC, so that's heating and cooling, hot water mm -hmm. systems, um, and a startup doing an interesting twist on battery storage. Um, so I've been, you know, running all, eat it, what they, they call it in Silicon Valley, eating your own dog food. So I, I, <laughs> I forced my wife to suffer through multiple generations of prototypes. Um, she, 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 the rest of your family, I'm sure, will be very grateful at some stage. Um, I'm, I'm a bit fascinated by new solar PV, uh, rooftop solar PV options. I mean, how much different can it possibly be from what it is now? Are you talking about sort of greater efficiencies, easier mounting? Um, what, what, what are you looking at there? Really, it's, I mean, it's same efficiencies. It's uh, eliminate weight, eliminate soft costs, eliminate um, more of the labor and cover more mm -hmm. area. We really should be aspiring to be putting 10 to 20 kilowatt systems on Australian roofs. They're so big. Uh, we're still at the, you know, four to eight kilowatt size. So a lot of what we're doing is enabling better coverage, um, better shade tolerance so that you don't lose the whole module when you lose a cell, things like that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, but having ten or twenty kilowatt on on, on the roofs, um, that sounds great. Um, but the grid people seem to be sort of balking at that. They're sort of worried about the management of the grid. They're worried about um, uh, one yeah. one explanation is that they're lovely, well motivated engineers who really care about reliability. Yep. And this this the 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 what looks like them being traitors is them actually just loving us. Um. I think the fears of, you know, how to integrate these things are not unwarranted. There's still, you know, it's really only going to work if we deploy far, far, far more batteries than we have now and we do far more power management underneath both the substation and the, the uh, distribution transformers. Mm. So I don't think that's hard. I think, you know... Um, I think the science projects are over, you know, making offshore wind, getting solar to a dollar a watt. Comparatively, um, you know, hardening the local distribution grid to do phase and voltage management looks a hell of a lot easier. It's not done yet. This is another reason that we need to run these trials because we need to prove to all of those conservative engineers that are running every grid internationally, like, no, here's how you do it. Here's the set of technologies. This is what's going to work. Here's the balance of demand response you need here's really what you've got to do in terms of incentivizing vehicle charging and and perhaps vehicle to grid batteries um to to make it all work um and you know it's an integration problem now it's not a science problem 
Yeah, yeah. There does seem to be, you know, a fair amount of evolution in thinking um, over the last 10 or 15 years. You go back, you know, 10, 15 years when I started writing about this and people would sort of say 10% renewable share, 20%. Uh, you've got to be crazy. That's not going to work. It's going to be unstable now. They're actually talking about 100% instantaneous renewable in Australia by 2025. Uh, you know, maybe 100% renewables by the early 2030s. Um, do you think we're sort of picking up the pace and we're sort of getting there or do we need to sort of go even faster, particularly, particularly if we're going to electrify everything and get the fossil fuels out of the transport system and the, the households and, and the industrial system? We should be going faster. Australia should be leading the world because the economic benefits are going to be the best here mm-hmm. soonest and the most. And, uh, you know, if we want our coral reef... Um, there's no other country that can go faster than us. And so if we want the world to go as fast as possible to solve, you know, fixing climate and saving the things we love, we have to lead by example. And we have the opportunity to lead by example in a way that's not going to be painful, that's going to be profitable. Mm. So mm. We, we need to get away from the evolutionary conservative thinking and, and, you know, treat this like it's our moonshot for Australia. We're going to show the world how, how it's done and, um, and do it as fast as possible and, and push those engineers not to do things unsafely, but to, you know, we, if we won, we lose to the fossil fuel lobby at this point by allowing anything to slow us down. And we are currently allowing everything to slow us down. We're running one slow experiment at a time, not 10 fast experiments in parallel. Yeah, yeah, we, we we do seem to be in a world of trials and um, testing and things like that, and they seem to sort of get repeated and go on and <laughs> yeah, they go on. So, and, yeah, and then they're they're not they're not ambitious. They're not a sufficiently ambitious scale, and then the learnings get lost somewhere. But like you know, we can mm, see all mm. the curves have got to the right point. Now's the time to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember interviewing you. Um, I was just looking back over actually at, at the interview um, I did with you after a TEDx talk in Sydney in two thousand and eleven. And last days you actually mentioned that, um, you know, Australia does have these sort of special resources, but those can't necessarily be followed by other countries in the world. Do you think that's kind of changed now because we've sort of come further down the technology path? Um, rooftop solar has become that much more efficient and that much cheaper. Do you think that what we can achieve in Australia can be replicated elsewhere? Um, Certainly America can follow in Australia's footsteps. Some Southern Europe can follow in Australia's footsteps. Um, you know, the general answer that rooftop solar will be cheaper than grid-based nuclear of any description is very hard not to believe that's going to be true. So by Australia showing how to get to, you know, more than 50% penetration of large systems and balancing it is proving to the world how to get to the lowest cost system. The real limitation for other countries is their population densities are too high, so they just can't deploy enough renewables. If you're, if you're China or India and you look, you know, they've got more than 10x, 10 times the population density of us, they'd have to use 10% of their land dedicated to renewables if they're trying to do it with renewables, whereas Australia only needs to use less, you know, a fraction of 1%. Mm. So we can kind of do it on rooftops over car parks and in, you know, a not enormous number of um, large grid projects, whereas, you know, it's much harder the the larger the population density gets if you have really big winter 
summer swings like northern Europe, it's, it's more difficult. Um, so not everyone can have it as easy as we have it, um, but they can certainly learn from our lesson, learn lessons from us, especially in you know how to optimize regulation to get it done, how to change the rules of the grid so that the grid becomes much more tolerant of more solar, more batteries, more electric vehicles. Mm. That's what we have to teach. So really, the first thing we need to do now is to really get this trial going. Get, get a get a thousand get a thousand houses in a suburb, push them down the path of electrification, show them what can be done, the savings that can be made, and then basically, as you sort of say, you know, um, communities across the country, from suburban, city, regional, will be wanting to follow them down the same track. Yeah, I think it used to be, you know, people working in renewables ten years ago, you were trying to prove that wind or solar would get to the cost of fossil fuels in terms of LCOE. You know, I think the burden, of, and, and it was all about the financeability and the backability of those big projects. Now it's about the financeability of your average person in Cabramatta to buy the EV, put the solar on, electrify their water heater and, and kitchen and start saving money and do it with a finance product that's, you know, offered by multiple banks. Like, we, mm. it needs to be the right the the right option climate wise now needs to be the cheapest and most convenient option we need to have you know we need to have workforce training or capacity building that looks like what we did with rooftop solar and the training programs that did that we need that for vehicle charging we need that for space heat we need that for water heat we need that for household and uh distribute um you know community batteries we need a lot of capacity. We're still 10x short on the capacity to do all the jobs. Which, you know, people worry about there's there's going to be losing jobs. It's not true. There's so many jobs, and they're going to be local jobs in your community. Um, getting this done. And so you are an optimist or a pessimist about whether we can actually do this because the opportunity is there. Obviously, um, I'm a realist that we can do this. Technically, n no concerns about the risks anymore. Um, am I optimistic? about the politics in Australia, I can, a little bit, I can see it turning around. I can see the culture wars being fought back against and I think we're starting to win. Um, do I think we will do it fast enough and bold enough? No. Do I think Australia will go a little bit slower than it should, hoping that some other country will stick its head up? Probably. I think that's the risk. Um, mm -hmm. Where, you know, unless we identify the opportunity and, 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 we at least know that we could be the lead the world, be the boldest, increase all of the world's ambitions on climate. Uh, you know, we should at least scream that from <laughs> all of the places we can on every podcast uh, to give us the chance to do it. Well, thanks very much for doing so on this podcast. Anyway, um, Saul, um, congratulations on the big switch, your book. Um, congratulations on your vision and your sort of, um, you know, your, your, your dream of electrifying everything. And um, good luck. a dream. It's going to be a reality. Yeah. The question is if we, are we going to let the natural gas industry lie to us for another decade or are we just going to do it? Well, that would be the question, I think. Um, we'll just have to wait and find out. But um, thanks to your work, um, it gives us a, um, a fighting chance of um, not allowing them to do so. Right. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much. And that was Saul Griffith, inventor, academic, head of Rewiring Australia, and also the author of The Big Shift. Thank you very much to our sponsors, Jet Charge. And we'll be back very soon with another episode.
of The Driven Podcast. Bye for now. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by JetCharge, Australia's leading experts in EV charging. Operating nationwide, JetCharge helps businesses and drivers find cost-effective ways to charge their EVs, from home chargers to vehicle-to-grid integration to the largest EV charging projects in the country. JetCharge are paving the way for our electric future.